Welcome to episode 131 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of three of the four of the greatest minds ever, discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Michael, and unfortunately Noah wasn't able to make it this week, but joining me today, the Terminal Champions of Linux, Ryan and Zeb. So Zeb, how's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good, thank you. And yourself? Been pretty good. Good, good, good. Um, well, for me, part two of the Gentle install happened on Saturday with Serge and Adrian. Um, nice. And I have a working Gentoo with the XFCE desktop, Firefox, and OBS. Um, so that was, that was quite good. There was a few hiccups, um, but you can go and watch the four-and-a-half-hour video. It won't send you to sleep, I promise. Um, but part three will follow, and, and we're going to install the rest of the apps, Steam, GPIC, GNOME, Gnome Discs, all that sort of stuff, um, and we'll see how it goes. But it's also been a fantastic week for me for distributions because, as you know, um, and we'll talk about it in a show later on, um, Endeavor has now come out. And I just could not get it installed. So I went on the Telegram group. I went on the forums. And the Endeavor dev, the Endeavor devs, of course, say that when you've had a few pints, jumped on and made me a test NVIDIA install ISO, which works flawlessly. Wow. And it's worked so well that they're now going to put it out there as an alternative. And then to top that, Eric Dubois saw I was having problems with the Arco D or the Arco Linux D installer and this is all because the rtx 2080 ti is still not supported fully yet by the nouveau drivers so he made me my own private nvidia iso too wow and that worked flawlessly so i can proudly now say thank you eric dubois by the way i run arch nice that's amazing treatment you're getting there. Nobody yeah. has ever offered to make me a custom version to get my stuff working. What about you, Michael? I've never had that level of, uh, you know, special attention for my distros. I mean, I've had people change things for me, but it's usually these little tiny minuscule things. But I've never had someone create me a custom image just for me. So, right. you know, we get this in the comments a lot. People just like Zeb naturally. I don't know why. It is they don't, weird. It's like... They would, See the behind the scenes show, you would know he's a troll. He's not this nice Brit you all think he is. I'm telling you. Yeah, people think he's tickety boo, but he's very trolly. <laughs> but anyway, that just proves what an awesome community we have. Yeah, that is actually amazing. Yeah, that is awesome. And um, you've got Arch now and Gen 2, so two very known to be difficult distros installed. Are you ready to make a call on which one you like the most? Oh, I like Arch better. Um, there's absolutely no way I would even consider doing a Gen 2 install myself. Even if you just go for the Gen kernel, there's no guarantee it's going to work. And the Gen kernel didn't work with my um, graphics card or the Threadripper. So to have to wade through, I guess, 2,000 little bits and pieces that you could tick or untick or not use and use, how on earth is anyone supposed to know that? depth of knowledge about their particular equipment it's just ridiculous so yeah arch all day long yeah now is this a situation where and, and i'm not picking on nvidia here but is this a situation where most of your problems are running from the gpu side because of the proprietary driver or is this other things as well it's a, it's a mixture of the threadripper being generation two and still too new and um Surge reckons it will probably be about another year before it's fully integrated into these kernel parameters yeah. that everybody knows. So with that Threadripper and my graphics card, 
they they pose you got a perfect um, storm kind of yeah it's yeah, also they, worth they, noting that the uh Jindu is a rolling distribution but it doesn't roll quickly no like uh, there's a lot of cases where there's things that will take you know up to a year or more to get in there so it's technically mm-hmm. rolling but not not like arch speed rolling yeah but what was fantastic was like you'd, you'd get surge there saying okay i'm really sorry now we've now got an hour and a half wait and then 25 minutes later the thread rip has gone boom thank you very much next nice that was was good that was good and i'm enjoying it i have not got a clue what i'm doing but i'm enjoying it yeah good learning experience Mm -hmm. that's always good too so ryan what have you gotten yourself into well everybody knows what i've gotten myself into the ryzen 9 3900x is what i've been getting myself into so i built the machine the new beast has been built and i put the first video out there um, and people are really enjoying it. Uh, I, I was actually surprised on this particular video because I ran into issues um, where I lost a lot of the video footage I had done, so I ended up just doing everything in one run, but I think I got a lot into this. You've got the build being filmed in here, so and it's at super 200 times speed because I didn't want to bore people with a <laughs> two-hour building session but so you can watch the build actually take place at the end or most of the pieces come together you got the new thermal take uh p5 case in there you've got um of course some of the benchmarks although i'm doing a whole new video now which is just going to be benchmarks and gaming and things like that to show the variation although as you guys know i don't like to put a whole lot of emphasis on benchmarks. It's what everybody uses as their guide. So I'm going to mix those benchmarks with actual gameplay. I was going to say, you always use your experience. Well, here it is with this and here it is with that. So for me, that's the perfect benchmarking. Yeah. And I like how Pharonix does it a lot too. Although a lot of theirs is just benchmarking because once you're in a game, a benchmark is made for this perfect parameters to kind of emphasize on this, right? Where everything is... Um, set in a perfect manner and you don't have little things like internet connection interrupts or you know everything's coded perfectly to push your card to the extreme but the reality is when you get into these games it's a completely different story right there are there are certain sections of games that are coded inferior that aren't rendering correctly there are all kinds of problems that your gpu has to and your cpu has to overcome and that's why benchmarks give you this idea of what a card can do, but it's not always the reality of what you're going to experience when you're using it. And then there's this extreme focus on just gaming and benchmarks, whereas there are a lot of people who want to know, okay, what, what about rendering? What about multitasking? What about all these things that come together? So I'm going to try to do a mix where you get to see the benchmarks, but also get to see the real life experience of playing the game. And you, you will see in that video just how different the two things are from one another there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the Ryzen 9 3900X has been a fantastic experience. It, it, the CPU, first of all, I couldn't get the 2700X, as Michael can attest to, to get over what? like What's the highest we saw it? It was at like 32% usage. And that, yeah, was at, that was while I was playing a game, while I was also recording, and while it was using Proton to do everything. Yeah. So, I mean, I couldn't even get that thing to, to, to have any issues. So 3900X is complete overkill um, out there, but it's been a lot of fun playing with it. The, the big problem, though, is AMD still has not released. Well, supposedly they've released the patch, but the AMD manufacturer, motherboard manufacturers have not released the BIOS update. 
And so I am still only can use one distro here, which isn't a bad thing because the distro happens to be a great one, Pop! OS, but it's the only one that uh, I can really play with right now to use. So yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, good that they did that at least someone took some time to fix to make sure that it's available to use this hardware in, in, the, in the, you know, with the community, whatever. Like, so at least, at least there's that. Uh, but I did want to point out that there's this one part of your video that I was like, because I, I was really interested in seeing also how you're building out the case because you got this new, like, really slick looking case. And yeah. uh, when during the, the the intro to the build part, you were saying something like, uh, this is not a case for the average user, the average person who would want to build a thing. And I'm like, well, I've I've built computers before. That's this is not going to be that big a deal. And then I'm watching your building. I was like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, this case not only has four instructions, but it's a modder's case. So it comes with like 100 parts. And the instructions are poor and you would have to just know where a lot of this stuff goes. And you, you can see at some point my wife's hands in there mm -hmm. helping hold a flashlight to read the markings on the mm -hmm. case to see where an ATX form factor, uh, you know, the bolts would go to hold the motherboard because it's just so poorly inscribed and things. There are great things about the case. I love it's open air. I love you can clean it. I love you can mod it and hang it on a wall but it is not a beginner's case by any stretch of the imagination. But um, so Michael, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been, I've been doing a lot of stuff. I've been like fixing, you know, improving some like workflows about how we're doing the, 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 the show. And I've also been testing out some Endeavor OS, which, which for, fortunately for me, yeah. I'm using AMD and I don't have to deal with the kind of stuff that Zeb was dealing with. But uh, I, and I tested out Endeavor and we're going to get into Endeavor in a little bit later in the show. And I think that Endeavor's, you know, has a lot of potential. Uh, but first I actually wanted to take this time to kind of bring up something a little bit different and also something that Ryan has no idea I'm about to say. Uh-oh. And <laughs> and that is uh, this show is, you know, every, we all do our own part in this show. But uh, I wanted to give some credit to Ryan for all the work that he's been doing to for the making of this show and over the, the couple of years that he's been doing the show as well. So when this episode releases will actually be the second year anniversary for Ryan becoming a host of Destination Linux. Wow. And it will also be a marker of his 100th episode as a host of Destination Linux. So I wanted to give, you know, credit to to Ryan and thank you for so much and also That's I so I, cool. I assume I can speak for everybody that uh we were like to thank you for, you know, doing so much for the show and making sure that this happened and being around for so long to make sure that this it continues and give us opportunity for me and Zeb to join and all that. So I wanted to, you know, give you a little bit of recognition for it because it's it's fantastic that you've, you know, help us make this show every week. That is surprising. Is that what you guys were alluding to at the beginning? You guys were had this little secret at the no. before we were. Oh, you had another troll thing going. No, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's awesome to hear. I had no idea that this is the hundredth episode. That's very cool. The fact that you like a couple episodes ago, you were like, I have the you know I've, I've been around the longest. I've been on the most episodes, and I was like, I wonder how many that actually is. And then it was like, this is perfect. I have to make <laughs> a thing about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for doing that research. And the show wouldn't be the same without you guys. So I appreciate that. Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. All right. For our email this week, we have, hi there. First of all, you have a great podcast. Thank you very much. On the episode 129, I think Zeb asked listeners to suggest what they use and what they can recommend. My recommendation would be Linux Manjaro for stable and up-to-date software and i3 as a desktop manager. 
I would love to see project that would join KDE Plasma with all the ecosystem for notifications, battery, alarms, plus million other eye candy, but Windows management in i3 is simply amazing. In my opinion, this is how the computer desktop should be in the first place with best regards, Tom. So, of course, you're going to easily get your email read on air when you mention i3. So, uh, good job. <laughs> Um, but no, and I, I love I love Manjaro, and um, I used it for a long time before I ever could figure out how to run Arch. And Manjaro has definitely accomplished that ease of install situation mm -hmm. that you know most people stay away from Arch because of it being so difficult to install. And Manjaro just makes it click, 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 boom, you're done. Uh, and then adding i3 in there, I, this. Email is especially important because today in playing in Pop! OS and GNOME, I realized there is no pre-tiling setup, which is so odd to me. KDE and everybody has pre-tiling keyboard shortcuts. Some you may have to go in and turn them on, but I've never seen it where they, they don't appear to exist. Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess you have to install GNOME extension. So yeah, having tiling is very important. Like when we do the show, I have to have a screen where I can see all of the cast and then I have to have notes up here and then I have chat boxes for people who are watching the show live. And you can't really do that effectively unless you manually manipulate Windows without tiling. And that's where i3 simply stands out and dominates because it's so easy to implement and do. Um, KDE, as Michael will say, definitely has a lot of those features, but they're a little more buried and um, yeah, they're 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 not easy access. Do you have to turn them on and stuff? And like some cases, they have a little bit of tiling, like the 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 anchor points of the left and right, like that kind of thing. But if you want the full tiling, you have to go and turn in the, turn them on in the settings and stuff. But there's also mm -hmm. uh, I've seen I'm not sure how well, well supported or maintained it is, but I saw someone made a con a modification to KWin to actually have uh, i3 tiling functionality in it. And they call it Tyler oh. with a three instead of an E, so like that's the reference point port. Uh, so it's it's pretty cool. I tried it a couple times, and it is it does work quite well. And there's there's some things that you can kind of make it sort of having i three in Plasma, uh, but it might even be possible to replace KWin if you wanted to. But either way, I mean it's re it's really cool. I do, I think that tiling is important. And yeah, w once I started using tiling, it's it's very hard to go back. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Zeb, do you use tiling at all? Um, only that which I manually do when I'm doing a particular activity. So if I'm playing a game, um, I have to have the, the game window in the middle. and the So it's only me that puts it there. I don't specifically, yes, I'm on KDE a lot of the time now, but I don't necessarily use the always open this here, always open that there, because I have no set workflow. It'll just be what feels right for the day. Um, and it's crazy because some days I'll just use these two um, monitors on my in front of me and on my right, and the one on the left just sits there showing this lovely picture of a mountain. And on another day, my neck will get a crick, so I'll use this monitor to do things. So I have no, no, no set workflow. But I've tried using i3 and other tiling managers. It's just my brain doesn't work that way. Yeah, some of them are more involved, and i3 is definitely one of those. When I when once you get it set up, it's great. And I, mm -hmm. and I guess it wasn't fair for me to say that KDE it's buried in i3. It's easier because that's not really the it's case. It's not easier in i3, no, because it's i3 yeah. and, and all tiling. Yeah. When, yeah. All the window managers that are tiling for specifics, there's nothing easy about them. You know, no. it's just it's just set up more like more fluidly about like the tiling aspects. Yeah, uh, but, and and in, you know. and in KDE it doesn't necessarily call it 
tiling. It's it's when you right mouse click on the title bar and go to more actions. There are special window settings and special. No, there's there's also tiling in Plasma. You can tell it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you can do tiling in Plasma. The the window rules is what you're talking about, and window rules are awesome. I need Mm. to make a video about it. I kind of did at one point, but like window rules is super powerful. You can do all kinds of stuff with it. Uh, even control like the automatic transparency of a window or whatever. Uh, there's, uh, but the the window tiling there's there's actually shortcuts that are not on by default for some reason, but they allow you to do quick tile for every corner, uh, a vertical a full screen vertical, full screen horizontal uh, from different like edge points and stuff. So you can mm-hmm. do all kinds of uh, of tiling with Plasma, but only the the basics are on by default. So it's interesting. One of our patrons said that they use the super arrow keys in GNOME uh, to to tile, and that's enough for them. What What's interesting is that is the default in most DEs, XFCE, KDE. You hold super shift, and if you have the window, and you can move it to right, left, top, bottom, and that's kind of the minimal tiling that you can do in most desktop environments. Right. At least in Pop OS that I'm on now, those shortcuts do not work. So no. maybe it's something with other that Pop OS does where they turn that off or not, but holding super shift and the arrow keys does not move. In fact, what it does instead is switches workspaces. So but it, you don't necessarily use the shift. You just go um, super left and it will put it fully left. Yeah, it's not doing that either for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm trying it right now. So it looks like maybe they've made some changes in there or mm-hmm. my specific version it didn't get installed right. Who knows? But... Uh, to me, that is kind of basic. There are extensions, of course, you can get for GNOME and other things. But yes, i3, once you learn it and get in there, to me, is one of the best. Now, others will say there are other great tiling managers out there, and they probably are. Xmonad, all of these other ones, you've heard uh, me and some other folks argue which one is the best in a joking manner. But the reality is it's whichever one you take the time to learn the yeah. code for, you're going to be able to do all the the cool things with it. But what what Michael, I wanted to talk about the rules for Windows, which makes i3 more powerful than just tiling, and you can do this in KDE as well, is you can have certain rules set up so that when a specific app opens, it always goes into, say, the right-hand corner of your second monitor or mm-hmm. always opens in your second workspace. Or when it opens, it opens a second workspace and names that workspace something like photography. So you could see how when you get these tiling managers working, you get this whole workflow that as soon as you boot up your computer, automatically open every app you use, put it in the proper workspace, tile it where you want it, and you don't have to touch anything. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what a tiling manager full on can accomplish. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the window rules in whatever window manager you're using is awesome because it allows you to have like complete control over your stuff, uh, like the ability to like position wherever you want in the workspace, whatever you want, which monitor you want it on, like position, like the actual pixels of it, the, the, like the width and height and the pixels of like yep. the location of the, on the screen. So you don't have to just say, put it on this monitor and hopefully it goes where you want. You can say this particular pixels from this point anchor point of this window. And like, there's all kinds of stuff you can do with window rules and I three and, and plasma have, have those features. And there's other, uh, extent, uh, other DEs and window managers that have window rules, but like, there's so much value to it. Like, it's very, it's almost impossible for me not to have them at this point. Like I, I was using another DE recently and I was like, wait, I have to manually move. No, this is not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to hear from you, our listeners. Um, and the email that we've just read out 
um, is a classic example. It doesn't have to be a rambling monologue of your Linux journey. It could be a simple thing that you like this because of X, Y, Z. So keep sending those emails in and you never know, you might be on the show next week. Send us your favorite Linux software or your tip and trick. We would love to know what tools make your Linux experience amazing. Is there perhaps a specific topic you would like us to cover? Is there something that we're doing wrong? Send your email to comments at destinationlinux.org. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimizing, managing, and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, integrated firewalls, multiple storage options, load balancers, and more. You can get, get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month, per month, or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free. And the DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash dl. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash dl. And we thank DigitalOcean again for sponsoring Destination Linux. So before we move on to from DigitalOcean real quick, uh, I got my power bill, Michael, for my server. Mm-hmm. And it raised my power bill $100 a month. So sometimes it's better just to go to the cloud. Because <laughs> imagine what kind of uh, spin up I could do on DigitalOcean for $100 a month instead of running an old IBM uh, server that I have. And we, my wife and I, because the billing's one month behind, just realized this $100 a month increase from the server. So I think I'm going to be moving some of that stuff over to DigitalOcean. <laughs> that makes sense. A ton of money. Yeah. That sounds like a, a, a really good solution. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So up first in the show is a distro that we talked about earlier, and that is Endeavor OS. So maybe you've been wanting to try Arch Linux, but the installation process makes it not you know worth doing to you. Or maybe the bleeding edge aspect of the of the distro holds you back or, or something like that. Maybe you have uh, used Linux before or Arch Linux before, but you don't really want to devote the time to installing it the Arch way then maybe Endeavor is something you should check out. Because the goal for Endeavor OS is to offer an easy-to-use installer to get Arch Linux up and running in a more user-friendly way. So Endeavor OS just released their first stable release, which includes an offline installer that installs a lightly-themed XFCE desktop ready to customize to meet your needs and however you want to do it. Uh, now there has because this if you haven't heard of it, Intergos, Intergos was a, a distribution that was created and um, for a few like a few years ago, like seven years ago, and they decided to end the, the, the development of the project. Endeavor OS is a successor to Intergos to kind of keep the community going and give it a new direction and a new path. And, and, and Endeavor also is going to be creating an online installer that it gives you options to install multiple. DEs in multiple different window managers, up to 10 different options, actually. Uh, they, they've they listed on their website what those are. That's going to be base, which means no DE or window manager, i3, KDE Plasma, OpenBox, Mate, XFCE, Cinnamon, Gnome, Budgie, and Deepin. Uh, so there's is, it, those are things that are like the first version of the stable release does not have the net install, but they that is planned to come in the next month or so. They haven't really said exactly when. But I have personally tried both not only the stable release, but also the beta releases of Endeavor. 
and I have to say it's it's quite good. I mean, even even the beta releases was surprisingly good. Uh, so have either one of you tried it recently? I know Zeb, you said you tried it with the new with the the getting the the stuff uh, with the extra help. But uh, did, yeah. what is your um, opinion opinion of the experience? Um, initially, it was oh here we go again. Is another um, you know distro that's coming out and they can't get the basics right because I couldn't get it to install. But it was it was the 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 response I got from the community um, that I found astonishing. It's a brand new community. Okay, I know it's Antigos and they've all moved sideways and come across. But sometimes it takes you a little while to, to build up that rapport. Um, but they saw that I was here trying my hardest to get this um, OS installed. So I was getting all sorts of tips and suggestions. Have you done this? Have you done that? And then, as I say, one of the devs reached out to me on the forum and said, look, We've made this NVIDIA ISO. Would you mind testing it for us? It's not going to go anywhere until you tell us it works. So I burnt it, put it on, and then 30 minutes later, I'm running um, Endeavor OS. Now, the thing I like about it is, okay, I haven't done it the Arch way, but I'm still running Arch because they don't put any special yeah, tips right. or tricks on there. They give you the most minimal XFCE desktop. And then they've already got instructions. Well, if you don't like XFCE, this is how you take it off. This is how you put KDE on. This is how you put GNOME on. This is how you put XYZ on. And whether you go to the Telegram group or you go to their discourse forum, they are so responsive. Um, and it just works. It's it's simple. It's a nice Calamari's installer. The only thing I've got about Calamari's is if you've got a complicated system, it doesn't tell you what's installed on which um partition yeah. so unless you've made a mental note right it's sda7 but then when you boot up that iso is sda7 really sda7 or did it get moved to sdb7 so you have to be very careful and really know what's installed where but if you've just got a, a straightforward um, installer system it works fantastic it really does it's a, a good introduction to arch and I think it's going to be a good way to learn Arch as well. Yep. Yeah. So, Michael, you introduced me when you actually came down to Georgia and hung out with me. You introduced me to Endeavor. I'd heard about it, but you're like, no, you need to really check this thing out. Yep. And so I installed it there and uh, live on one of my laptops and absolutely installed flawlessly. Of course, it has the perfect setup, right? It's a Intel GPU, so you're not going to have any problems there. And uh, Pretty base uh, Dell XPS, I think, is what I installed it on, and or did I, I did the Lenovo? Actually, I did the IBM uh, X1 Carbon is what I installed it on, and absolutely went flawlessly. And I've been using it ever since as a pure Arch user. You know, I've installed Arch multiple times, even at my own lug for people or helped install for individuals. Um, I, I can't imagine it being any closer to Arch if you tried. Like, I, I would have a hard time if you took away the wallpaper, not knowing that somebody installed Endeavor and not just pure Arch. Because like you said, it's so minimal, Zeb. They don't put any of the, the unnecessary packages and things in there. And I think it's still, what I like about it is I get the Arch install is a terrible experience. And most people are not going to ever want to to touch it, but there's so right. much within Arch past the install that it does so well from the speed, from being rolling and stable, from being able to get so many packages that are available out there, not only from Pac-Man, but also the AUR, 
directly. Like it's just so well done and people aren't, don't get that experience because of that install and Endeavor gives you all of those abilities to enjoy Arch without that painful experience if you don't want to go through it of installing Arch, but you still have to learn, which is what I like about Endeavor, meaning you're not going to be able to use a GUI package manager that does everything for you right off the bat. You're going to still have to learn some things uh, in there to use it, um, and, and they're not difficult things to learn. But So if you do eventually go to a pure Arch, you're going to feel right at home because you've already accomplished those things within yep. Endeavor. I love it. I love everything about it. And Michael, you've helped with this project. In fact, they even gave you a shout-out in their notes on this release <laughs> yeah. so congratulations on that of backing an awesome project yeah that was that was pretty cool uh yeah i, I gave them some advice because uh, people who might not be aware i used to be a contributor to um the intercos team i was a part of the team in a variety of ways doing some like bug fixes and um you know testing and doing uh, community management and stuff like that uh so i i've had a lot of experience with intergos and uh, there was a lot. There was actually quite a few things that, as a fan of Interagos, I didn't really like about Interagos. And when I when Endeavor announced that they were going to be, you know, be continuing the you know the path that Interagos was had started, I immediately was like, okay, so maybe this has weight as someone who was working with Interagos, but I don't know. But here's some things that I think that you shouldn't do that Intergos did and things that you should do that Intergos did. And they essentially adopted everything that I said. And it was like, it was such a smooth transition to, uh, you know, have a conversation with them that they they were very receptive. And even when they didn't really disagree, they went back and discussed it amongst themselves and then came back and said, well, it, you know, ask me about my opinion on this other thing. And then it kind of molded into like m- more contributions. And it's it's... It's got so much potential because of their uh, they're so open to the community. They are so attentive to the community. If anytime has someone has an issue, like Zeb said, they are very attentive on their forum, uh, on their their Telegram group, like all, all kinds of stuff. If if you need some help or just want to like trying to find out more information about it, they are absolutely willing to be to be there and provide that help. And one of their main goals of their distribution is also to have like a very friendly community. And I love that. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's it's it is it's interesting because they do want to keep it as close to Arch as possible, but also want to make it beginner friendly, in the sense that even if you do have problems, they still want to be there to help you to do it. Um, and it's 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 a really cool idea because one of the the things about Intergos is that they wanted to change so much that it wasn't really Arch. Now it was a hundred percent compatible with Arch, but there was significant changes that made it a problem, uh, in some ways. Uh, whereas Endeavor is so close to arch that you could kind of just say you're running arch even though you are Mm -hmm. running some modifications honestly the only reason i would install arch right now besides endeavor would be just so i could remember the steps to practice and make sure (laughs) it stays fresh because at this point if i need arch i'm just going to install endeavor if if i need it quickly because it's like you said it's so close to it and i do want to make a special point these they, you talked about the community being friendly and they're really reaching out. And so just in ask in general, and I saw this on their newsletter, that to keep the positive comments coming to this team so that they can keep that positive vibe. Because if they start getting a bunch of people, oh, NVIDIA is not working, you junk, you blah, 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 and all of this type of negativity, then it could turn into another situation where you have another arch distro that kind of closes their community down because people aren't realizing you're dealing with a more sophisticated distro at the end of the day. 
Right. And so leave, you know, definitely give the feedback like Michael and Zeb done, but do it in a way that is, you know, kind and courteous. Thank you for your work here. Here's the problem I ran into. Can you help me out? And and if you see something like the new updates and things, just go in there and say, thanks, congratulations, consider donating. I know that I was going to donate to them, but their current at the time, the only donation option they had was some site in Germany that I just personally, I couldn't, the text didn't translate and I didn't feel comfortable putting my mm -hmm. info in, but they said new donation platforms are coming out eventually uh, for PayPal and other things to make available. Uh, so I will definitely be donating. So consider supporting them for a donation as well, um, because this is this is something needed in Arch really bad. And uh, as far as having a really clean installation process on something that gives you that true Arch experience, we only have a couple options out there off the top of my head. You have Arco, you have Manjaro, and Endeavor really are the three that I can think of. I know there are more, but those are the three that really seem to stand out. Yeah, those so, are the three that really kind of want to be the installer type, not just, you know, they want to help you use Arch. But uh, like Manjaro does so much more on top of it that it's not really even close right. enough to Arch it's to call it Arch. Arch. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So, it's so different that it's its own distro, which is totally fine, of course, but that just, I mean, it just means you're not really using Arch that in like as close, whereas Arco mm -hmm. Linux or uh, Endeavor, you really can be, get you can get close to it depending on you want to do it. But like uh, the Arco is more about learning how to do it and Endeavor is trying to like basically get it as get there as quick as possible, but still mm -hmm. have a, a good experience. So I, I actually kind of thought it was kind of funny where, you know how the the phrase of the the the, the keep it simple or the kiss principle that Arch yeah. always claims that they have is like, nah, not really. But Endeavor does kind of make it possible, so you can get there easily yeah. and quickly, and you could still start to learn. And when I was having conversations with uh, some of the Endeavor developers, they uh, I was making a suggestion about wouldn't this like kind of like here's a here's a thing I ran into, and it's not necessarily a problem, but it's maybe like a philosophical issue that might create a breakpoint for beginners who have never used it before. And their response is, well, we we know that, that it could create an issue, but what we're trying to do is make it so people can learn. So they would learn from that issue and mm. they could come to us and we'll even like, we'll have a, a notification saying that this issue could happen. It's not a guarantee. It's just, it potentially might happen depending on a small percentage. And they want to help people learn through those experiences and also to help them on the forums to like learn through like the structure of like being guided to it so it's it's not just an an installer they they are fully like committed to the idea of you know make helping being a way to be able to learn to use arch and mm -hmm. i think that's a great idea and also um it's definitely worth pointing out that this distribution has been around for a very small amount of time and the amount yes. of work that they have done in such a small amount of time and have, and have accomplished so much in, well, what, maybe two months? Like, mm -hmm. that is a ridiculous, like, accomplishment right there because they've That's been a, a really good point. But keep in mind, too, that this just came out of beta. So just to yes. kind of mm -hmm. punch down on that point. It, right. It's it, the first ever yeah. stable release of a distribution that has been around for two months that is trying to do something very different and uh, like while it is impressive that they've done so much, it is still very early days. So don't like mm -hmm. expect it to be like a completely flawless experience. But so far for me, it has been a quite a good experience. Yeah, and here's a, here's an inter interesting twist for you. If you want a very good 
review, not so much review, of a look and insight into Endeavour, go to Eric Dubois' site because he's done a, a, a YouTube of how to install Endeavour. And then his little Arco twist is and install the Saudi icon set. But he really mm-hmm. goes, like you just said, Michael, in depth into they've, they've only been around for six or seven weeks. And yet, look, they've got this fantastic website. They've got this wiki that's got at least 40 articles on it already. They've done tremendous work in such a short space of time. Don't you love that, that you have somebody in, who manages it's a completely a different distro teaching you how to install another distro? Like, But that's Eric. He taught me mm-hmm. Arch. Like, that, I, I say that all the time to people. If it wasn't for Eric, I'd have never gotten into Arch. But his videos that he does, his educational stuff, just gets you so prepped. Uh, to be ready to take on Arch in any form or fashion that you want. And that's what makes it so powerful. Now, I do want to mention one thing. We received a comment on one of our last videos, and I've seen this a couple of times, about um, why won't Arch make an easy installer? Or I'm not going to use Arch yet because they don't, they haven't figured out how to do an installer. Arch, pure Arch, is, as I understand it, is never going to have a simple installer. Mm-hmm. It is not their goal at the end of the day they basically go out there and that that's part believe it or not of their kiss principle uh, of keeping it simple is not throwing guis and other things on top of things that could overcomplicate stuff i do think at some point you know these distros like endeavor that are throwing the gui installers on are kind of the future of arch for most people not that there won't be a group of people like there are today that constantly want to do the manual thing themselves and only install their own stuff. But I think that there will be a point because Arch is getting so much uh, more popular right now, especially mm-hmm. even with Steam. Yeah, the Steam you know, recently released their new uh, shaders for AMD, and instead of being Ubuntu first, they came out with Arch first. So you're going to see a lot of, I think, more push towards Arch, but it's not going to be towards Arch the Archway. It's probably going to be towards a Manjaro, an Endeavor, or something along those lines. I think that it's growing in popularity, but you're never going to see that in a pure, probably never going to see that in a pure Arch. Yeah, I would agree uh, with that. They, they technically had a installer that was not, it wasn't like a GUI installer, like the way that Endeavor or Manjaro works, but it, it, they had an installer many years ago and they realized that they didn't really want even to do that to the point that they did. So they pulled that back out completely. So the li- like I agree, the likelihood is that they're not going to be doing any kind of simple installer because that kind of defeats the point of what Arch is meant to be. It is meant to be a you know a very fast rolling distribution and a very and even in the sense of like hardcore usage because that the, because it rolls so fast and you are getting access to things that are potentially uh, problematic. They wanted. They want the people who are using like direct arch to have the experience to be able to solve the problem that they might accomplish themselves or run into themselves. Uh, so, yeah, so like, it. yeah, the archway is more like designed for that purpose. But uh, I like the idea that if you want to at least experience arch, there are other distributions that give you the access to do so. And then at some point, maybe in the future, you could do the do the full archway. Yep. Or you're like me and lazy and don't want to do it again. So next up in the news is Deepin 15.11 released. We haven't talked about Deepin for a while. For a minute there, it seemed like uh, it was hitting a lot of headlines, but we haven't had it on the show, featured it in a little bit. Deepin 15.11 released and their tagline is better 
never stops. Um, the pre-installed Deepin desktop uh, comes with 30 Deepin native applications. So what I like about this distro and a lot of distros that I try is when I see that they actually go in and try to write their own applications mm -hmm. that they customize and add some new layers to it. Otherwise, it's kind of like, why is this a separate distro? But they have 30 of their own native applications um, that they build that are deep in tools. And they're probably some of them based on other open source tools out there. They put their own customized features in there. Yeah. Um, some of them are also, very slick. Like their music player looks really cool. There's there are some issues with it, but there are some really cool stuff that they've done as far as like yeah. the design and aspects that they do that they have some interesting ideas. Well, one of these new features I thought was really interesting, although some security and privacy minded people may be like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that, but um, they have a cloud sync control center in 15.11 that includes syncing things like system settings from your mouse to sound to wallpaper data to all of that that you may today go in there and copy those config files over if you're installing the new OS and or have them in the, in your own server somewhere and pull yeah. them down every time you do a new install. They have a That'd cloud cool. sync version of that. And I thought that mm -hmm. was a pretty cool idea. And again, it's just grabbing your config files uh, here to do that. They also have a, a disk burning functionality now built right into the Deepin file manager. So that was a pretty cool that pretty little cool. feature. No, that's, that's not, I've never seen that actually before. It's usually a separate tool, so that's interesting. Uh, Does anybody burn disks anymore? Uh, no. That's the only thing I was thinking. Like, well, I don't know if no. the other file managers even include it because I haven't burned a disk. In well, I mean, no. I don't think they include it because there's other tools to do that. But I, I know people who still use DVDs and, like, they'll burn Blu-rays sometimes or whatever. Uh, but, no, I, I, I haven't had an optical drive built in my computer for years. So, And is it just disk burning or is it usb burning i think this I think one just is just disk burning or just a disk burning and yeah. interesting my new case and a lot of the new cases that are coming out have no disk drive mm -hmm. built into them there's nowhere yeah. to put a disk drive because nobody really i mean this i would say it. nobody a lot of people aren't using it now there are special cases i know of people like you said michael who try to archive their you know or burn movies and yeah. all that type of stuff well, there's, but there's special the disks part, for like storage and stuff yeah but like I think the cloud sync thing is a really cool thing because I want to go back to a little bit for a second because like I personally I'd prefer to have the just the settings and everything stored on my own computer and I can move them myself to a, like with a flash drive or whatever. I, I but I do like the idea because there's a lot of people who who would be coming to like brand new users who would come in and have and that would be beneficial to them if they had to, if they wanted to switch over to another like computer or something like that's a cool concept. Uh, I do I would do prefer it to be not cloud synced or if I could provide my own cloud for the sync that'd be cool. Uh, but I do like the idea in general. Yeah, because I, I, I hear a lot of devs say that the first thing, we've had them on the show, the first thing that they do when they've done a, a new build is they go to GitLab and they pull down all their configs. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing this is like the easy man's GitLab. Yeah, it, it, very it, similar. Config files you want up there. And so I can go, I'll have that, 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 and that. Click, open up the next computer, put it down, and say, yeah, now pull them back down and put them on there, please. Yeah, this, I think this is great. Fantastic. I think yeah, it's not, there, it's there's actually fire. something I wish I wish I wish Plasma would do exactly like I wish KDE did this because this is something that KDE would be so much beneficial to having something oh, like that because yeah. there's so Absolutely. many random files for <laughs> KDEs like think about it. So Michael did a custom setup on my my system when he came over because I was mm -hmm. like I have Michael here I'm gonna have him set up my KDE and I love a lot of the defaults that you did for it. But I started asking, okay, which config files do I need to move so that when I have another system with Plasma and you're like, 
okay, this starts getting complex because there's <laughs> there's big files all over the place. But he's like, just grab these two. These are the main ones. But yeah, that's why it's so neat. It's like Firefox when you have the sync and you set it up on a new machine. As soon as you put your sync options in, boom, you've got your bookmarks, your containers, everything moves over. It's a wonderful feeling. And having this on the desktop, I think is awesome. I think there's some security and privacy things that some people may throw out there. But as long as it's just grabbing config files, I, yeah. I don't see the problem. I, yeah, I, I would agree that, that it's more than likely not an issue. I would just kind of like prefer, like mainly because I don't really want to deal with the syncing, like having to make sure my internet, my computer's online before I can get my settings and stuff. So I just really mm-hmm. want to have it on flash drive so I can do it much quicker and not have to worry about it. And also not have to worry yeah. if, the, if the computer's online. The thing I like about um, Deepin, and it's not mentioned in this particular um, section because it's all about all the new stuff, is but people forget how good the installer is. Um, I haven't installed this latest version, but I've seen a couple of YouTube videos where people have done it in a virtual box. And for me, it's got to be one of the best looking and simplistic installers where unless you are a complete numpty, you just can't get it wrong. It is just that good. And when it boots up, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Will I use it? No, because I still don't think they will have solved the three monitor conundrum it powers up three monitors and nvidia settings will set them up for you correctly but the minute you go into their little side panel and try to use their utility for me it still does some really really weird things so i'm going to wait for some youtube person to say yep they fixed it and then i'll give it another go but does it look good could other people use it with just one monitor you bet yeah, I think Deepin is an interesting uh, uh, distro and in, in, you know DE and everything because they have a lot of work done that is super custom and very very nicely designed. Like they have a lot of effort in their design. I think they have a little bit of like what you're talking about with the monitor issues. Like some of the back end functionality is a little clunky, which kind of creates this weird issue where you you initially are presented with this really nice polish but the functionality is not there in some cases, depending on what you want to do with your system. Uh, but recently, not this particular version, but the one before, they, uh, like it was 15.10, I think, they introduced a new window manager, which is a fantastic decision because their window manager was okay, but this one is the best window manager ever, and that's oh, KWIN. <laughs> exactly. So KWIN is now the window manager for the deep in, in desktop environment, which is very awesome because they get you can you can solve some of the problems with the way it manages the, window, the different windows because they're using KWIN and I don't have to worry about building their own anymore. So that is awesome. And, yeah, uh, one of the things I hear people complain about a lot with Deepin is the slow installs from the stores. And so I noticed in one of these uh, updates is that the Deepin store improvements now includes automatic recognizing of your region. And I have to assume that helps them with picking the proper repo that uh, will allow you to get your downloads and software installed quicker because this is, as I understand, maintained in China, right? This right. is a Chinese, mm-hmm. Chinese. So there were a lot of people who were having issues where the downloads, when they would try to install software, would take forever because they were hopping to servers uh, so many countries away. So this certainly uh, should help, hopefully, with that. And they also have features in there like little things, little nice touches that add stuff in. Like if you want to add subtitles to a movie, which if you have kids, you pretty much always have to have on because you're never going to hear the movie normally. Um, (laughs) And you just drag and drop them, you know, the file right onto the movie and it will add the subtitles in 
while it's playing. So that, that's little cool things like that nice. that you know, aren't game changers, but just neat little add-ons that they have in here. So yeah, yeah, it's looking good. Nice little like uh, luxuries and stuff like that. Where like because they they do pay attention to the polish a lot. So there's like little things that you might not pay attention to that you you would take for granted if you had it. But you know, seeing them do those things like making the subtitles easy to get into it because like typically with um, with most uh, most things that support subtitles, you have to make sure that the subtitle file is the exact same file as the video that you were watching, and you have to go make sure that there it is there before you load it. So just you know, like okay, here's the thing for that particular movie. Boom, done. Like that's yep. awesome. Okay, so let's move on to some um, software news now, um, and we're going to start talking about um, Office Suites. And whilst I learned about this particular Office Suite a couple of years ago, it's probably the one that just sort of like disappears into your back of your mind and you don't think to use it. So only Office 5.3 has been released. Um, it's an Office Suite in Linux, and there's a lot of them that have been talked about lately. We've seen updates from WP Office, SoftMaker Office, and FreeOffice. Um, so this week, only Office includes three tools, much like Microsoft Office, including a comparable Word, Excel, and PowerPoint variable. So particular features that they've got for in this release include editing pictures, flip, rotate, etc., without plugins, um, connect to the desktop apps for the cloud, i.e. own cloud, next cloud, etc. Save documents as MS Office open XML documents, DOTX, LXTX, um, and POTX. Open document te templates, OTT, OTS, and OTP. They've got an ISO standardized PDF support, support for audio and video files in presentations. Nice. They've got a send plugin that allows you to send your document via the default mail client. Um, they have support for the Chinese language and they have toolbar button placement tweaks. So I installed this and I suddenly remembered this actually a, a year or so ago was my favorite office suite. So why did I forget to install it next time round? I don't know, but the community just doesn't seem to talk about this as much as they do LibreOffice and or Microsoft Office, because everybody's comparing yeah. it to Microsoft Office. It's crazy. It's a great Office suite. It's really interesting you say that, Zeb, because uh, I've heard a lot of these different Office suites, and I, I've ignored them because everybody seems to be like, no, LibreOffice, that's the way to go, and don't look back. Now, Michael and I have been doing a lot more of document transfers between each other and having to work with different entities and things, and this has caused a situation where they're sending us a lot of files in Word docs and things along those lines. And I started to see the weakness of LibreOffice at that point. And I sent you a screenshot to our mm -hmm. internal group showing opening the file, a docx file in OpenOffice or LibreOffice versus only Office. And you could see only Office keeps the format perfect. Everything is there exactly as if you opened it in Word, whereas LibreOffice, you can see it cut out certain headings, things mm -hmm. are misformatted, the font size isn't quite right. So I started looking into this some more, and apparently only Office, and I don't have all of the details behind this, and so I want to do more research on it, but uses an open format, which is more popular, called OOXML, whereas LibreOffice uses ODF. And since OOXML again, is according to some articles, is more popular, 
it's usually uh, allows them to, you're, you're going to see a lot more documents and things utilizing that format. And it's a lot more easier for them to transition to uh, from Microsoft Word to these type of formats. Because let's face it, whether we like Office or not, it's the dominant Office suite out there that you want to use. And if you need to communicate with other people that utilize it, for instance, if you're sending resumes in or important documents, you don't have the luxury of wanting them to open your document in Word and seeing a bunch of scribbled, scrabble stuff all over the place and misplaced uh, fonts and such. So I'm actually going to switch to using only Office for a little bit to see how mm -hmm. it works. But my experience right now has been, oh my gosh, where has this been? I love mm -hmm. the cloud integration that they have built in so I can send the documents directly there into my NextCloud uh, instance uh, or save them directly to my NextCloud instance. Uh, I love the setup. It is very ridiculously close to Office, which I have to use at work. So there's no relearning where buttons are at or anything else. And it seems really clean. So I'm interested to know what our audience thinks that they leave in the comments or send us emails letting us know if they've checked out only Office or maybe one of the reasons why it's not popular. I know mm -hmm. they have paid for versions. Maybe that's causing some of the constraint, but they have the free version too. So I don't have an issue with that. And, and it's not like you can't get it on your distribution because it's available as an app image, a snap and a deb file. And if you're on, you go onto the AUR, you can get only office uh, tech bin. So all distributions are covered. There's no reason why you shouldn't give this a whirl and, and see how it performs. It's pretty good. Yeah. That's actually yeah. kind of funny because we were, uh, when we were doing the document stuff, as Ryan mentioned, there was some, they were, they had, they sent in some like windows uh, files, like Excel files and stuff. And when I, I, I loaded up in LibreOffice and it didn't work. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try only office. So I loaded it up and it worked perfectly fine. And I had yeah. no issues. And I've had that installed since. And only office is like surprisingly good. Uh, but it also is worth pointing that it is uh, only like three different applications. Like it's not like a whole suite mm. of everything they have powerpoint excel and word type stuff they don't have everything like access and everything else uh but there it is a, a pretty good application and I, i'm i'm actually uh, kind of torn because the reason why oxml is the most popular and the most used and well supported microsoft made it but it's open Technically. And Microsoft loves Linux, so what's the problem? Well, I mean, technically it's not fully... It's it's open, yes. But it's not, like, fully accurate to the standard of stuff. So, that like, they have their little bit of custom stuff. And that's why there's this weird uh, issue between LibreOffice and the standards because they use the regular standard, whereas Microsoft's OOXML is technically, yes, a standard, but it doesn't really... It's not really fully compatible with other the other standards, so... Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's that kind of thing. But at the same time, if you need to do work, you need to get work done, and you don't want to use Microsoft Office, and you still want to use Linux, only Office is a good solution mm -hmm. for that. And, and what's crazy about that is because they have provided that, uh, that open standard, or uh, not open standard, but their open standard, um, they can't really have a go at open Office for making it look like Microsoft. There you go. Uh, one thing to note for people when you go to download it, because this did confuse me, uh, when you go to download, you're going to see Enterprise Edition, Integration Edition, Developer Edition. You want to click on Desktop Editors, and that is where you'll get the free one. If you choose any of the others, 
those are obviously enterprise and things where they're charging people for those services right. that they offer on top of it, like cloud features built in and all that. So you don't have to set up your own next cloud instance. There's all kinds of things they have built in, but if you want the free, just play with it. They have the GitHub page, of course, where you can just do it from source if you want, or they have a dev and RPM. And as, as uh, Zeb mentioned, a snap package and an app is app image as well. So they have hit every single package pretty much out there uh, to give you an option, no matter what distro on, you can check out this tool. So let's move on to some hardware news and let's talk about first the uh, GPD micro PC has been announced. It's been in, in like a, a backing on Indiegogo or Kickstarter. I'm not sure which one for a while, uh, but it is now no, uh, made point that the first Ubuntu Mate 1910 Alpha is now available, but only for the GPD micro PC. So this is pretty interesting because it, it, it's uh, Martin talked about it on uh, the uh, Ubuntu podcast about how they he had access to it like early to in order to make this work, and it's still of course an alpha. But he was like he was impressed by all the, the hardware because he's actually been a part of like been a backer of the GPD stuff for a while. It's like he has the Pocket One and the Pocket Two, and um, this is an interesting thing because uh, the GPD Micro PC looks like a it's a very small six inch device that has a ridiculous amount of hardware. It has eight gigs of RAM. It has uh, an Intel UHD 620 processor and, and, and motherboard and it has a, a like a, a lot of nicety stuff like the backlit keyboard and all this other stuff um, it is kind of expensive though it's a 399 dollar um, device uh, and it offers the ability to run windows 10 and ubuntu mate 1810 or now the new snapshot of 1910 uh, so it's, it's an interesting thing because uh, as a as someone who's been in the, in the Linux world for a very long time, I pay attention to all kinds of different new devices that are coming out. And when the first the GPD first came out, I was super excited because they were like shipping it as, uh, you know, it's a Linux device and a Windows device if you want to. Mm-hmm. Then the Pocket Two comes out and it's just a Windows device. And then now the Micro PC comes out and it has they're doing they're like not only are they doing work with like Linux as trying to get support for Linux. They're even doing, you know, integration with like different desktop like developers and or distro developers and having them get access to the hardware testing to make sure it's all, all all good and have everything ready by the time it comes out. So you can just install the distribution right immediately. So it's like, I'm torn because one, I like the fact that they're doing this kind of uh, small form factor, but powerful device. And then also with the whole, the history around it, I don't know. What do you what do you guys think? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And that the initial interest for me with GPD back in the day was the fact that they advertised Linux. And back then, hardware you weren't there wasn't a lot of choices when it came to hardware on Linux. Even a couple years ago, we're talking here, uh, that has changed substantially since that point. You know, I think System seventy six is blown up. You've got uh, hardware from Lenovo. You've got hardware from Dell. You've got You've got a lot of options out there. When GPD removed on their two, I think, like you said, the kind of, you could put Linux on it, but they didn't really advertise it. I lost a lot of appetite for it. But in this new one, at least, they do mention specifically in the Indiegogo page, Ubuntu Mate and Windows 10 first, and then Ubuntu Mate as an option. Um, This is the future, right? We have to get to the point where the distros are working close with the hardware manufacturers not just one, 
but like all of them. Mm-hmm. And so that yeah. we're getting this testing and we're able to compete with other OSs that do have those relationships as well and do make sure that hardware works on their new OSs and not just say, well, if it doesn't work, whatever, they do their own thing and not picking certain groups that we support. But beside that, uh, I love that um, Wimpy has had a chance to get this ahead of time. This is a very unique device. It's a very small screen, six inches. You could technically probably stuff this device in your pocket. Mm. I like this type of thing. In fact, I'm going on a business trip soon. You know, this is a a cool little device you could pop out in an airport instead of opening a full laptop. And supposedly the keyboard's still very comfortable to utilize. And also if you're into networking and need a little portable device to, um, you know, get into a server manually, it has all the RJ45 connectors, Type-C connectors, USB connections, RS-232 connections built into this little uh, six-inch device. So you could use it for network administrative work and things like that as well. So it is a cool little device. And this is actually the cheaper one. They usually are $599 plus, at least Mm -hmm. the one I was looking at. So they have come out with a cheap, this is cheaper than they normally would run for this device. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited that they're backing Mate and that we have a chance to get Linux working properly on the device before it releases. And it looks pretty cool. I don't know if I'll end up getting one, but it looks neat. Yeah, yeah, and it was interesting because when we went, when I went to the um, meetup with uh, a load of Linux guys in Reading, uh, Wimpy bought the two that he had with him, the first edition one and the second edition one, and I went, "Well, do us a favor, open it up and power it up because that looks ridiculously small. Is it usable? Open up the screen, put your hands on the keyboard, and yes, for those short trips or sitting on a train or on a plane, it was amazingly." good at how you could see the screen and the detail of the screen and it wasn't like squinting like you do at your, your your phone sometimes right it was a perfectly usable piece of kit and yeah this this looks promising yeah i mean this is actually pretty interesting i i uh, got a chance to try out I, it was either gpw pocket one or two i'm not sure but um a couple like not this past year but the year before itself uh one of the community members keith was uh, he brought his uh gpd pocket and uh, when I tried it out, I expected it to n- not like it because it was so small. Uh, and I don't really like the small devices beyond like a phone or a tablet. And the keyboard was surprisingly good. Like mm-hmm. I expected it to be terrible because usually the small devices have terrible keyboards. But this was it was it was it wasn't the best experience because it was kind of awkward where they had the touch bar and stuff or not touch bar, but the uh, touch point uh, where they put that. Uh, but uh, it was it was still quite good, especially for such a small device. So I think that there's a lot of potential for this. And if people want to have something that's, you know, a, a fa- fairly reasonably priced, but a little bit, in my opinion, I'm super cheap. So people could probably ignore that part. Um, uh, <laughs> but like the, uh, it's, it has a very a, a reasonable uh, a benefit of having like a travel laptop because uh, when I tried to travel with my uh, regular laptop, I basically just completely ignore it and never want to open it. So, you know, something like this. I noticed that you end up using the Pine Book more than your regular because yeah. you brought both to self. And the whole time, I pretty much saw you on your Pine Book instead because I guess it's lighter and easier it's, to wield around. It's lighter, it's easier, it's more efficient. The battery life, I don't have to worry about. Like, I, I had, I tested it one time where if you have it on idle, the Pine Book was like, I don't know, 20 hours of battery life. And if while I was using it, it was about anywhere between 8 to 10 hours of battery life depending on what i'm doing whereas my you know big bulky laptop that does like that extra power and stuff i'm lucky if i get two hours 
So yeah. like, mm-hmm. like I, I, even if I do bring it with me, I almost never turn it on while I'm traveling. Cause it's like, it's just not, a, it's not a re- it's not a good experience while you're, you know, not in like a desk or you're like your whole setup or whatever. Well, I found this interesting and we're, we're starting to get a lot of emails asking us what Linux tablet to use for Linux. And I noticed in here in the Indiegogo page for GPD, they are actually comparing themselves against the Microsoft Surface Go, which technically is a tablet, but you can attach a keyboard to it to make it a system. I think the GPD Micro PC, actually the Go has a 10 inch screen. It has better resolution at 1800 by 1200, but less PPI naturally, because you got a six inch screen versus 10 inch, but um, you have different processors and things, but for the most part, there's some comparable stats and you can get the Go, I think for as little as 399, the official price is 499 now. Um, Microsoft Surface Go, you can also install Linux on. And in fact, in my own um, patron group on Telegram, this question came up again about tablets and Linux, and there's not a lot of good choices, but you do have the Pine tablet coming out eventually. uh, For those who are interested, you do have the Microsoft Surface Go and the Microsoft Surface uh, Pro tablets out there that you can install Linux on as an option there's not a lot of good options, though, right now for a Linux tablet. But I did yep. find it interesting they competed. They were saying that they are they're competing against, at least in this product comparison, a Microsoft Surface Go. It's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I would agree that there's not very many tablets, if any, that are not, like, you know, repurposed in the sense of, like, the Surface stuff. Yep. Um, but I am looking forward to the Pine, the Pine tablet or on all the Pine stuff, really. Well, I know one that you're really looking forward to, Michael, because I'm looking forward to this as well, and that's the Pinebook Pro. We talked about this before. We're going to get a little update here from Zeb, which I'm excited about because I haven't heard it either. Um, But the Pinebook Pro pre-orders are starting soon, as in July 25th, so get ready because I think this is going to sell out really fast here. Yeah. Uh, you might. This is kind of like me when I stalk AMD when they release a new product. My wife will sit there with a computer. I'll sit there with a computer, and we <laughs> just keep refreshing until one of us gets uh, the thing. You may want to do that here. But um, one of the interesting things that happened this week is Pine64's uh, Lucas did a demo of this device. It was just There was no professional editing. He just did it because somebody asked a question about how does it handle 1080p and 4K. So he recorded uh, unprofessionally just a quick video to show you some things like 1080p and 4K playback using external monitors connected to the USB Type-C. And I can tell you it looked beautiful. There was no screen tearing, no stuttering. It was flipping through screens like nobody's business. Browsing was really snappy. It looked really, really final and good. Like it did not look like a beta product at all, uh, which is exactly what I was hoping we would see. But you can go out and check that video. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. But Zeb, you have one, right? You have one of these early devices. What's it been like, my friend? Well, unfortunately, I had one because I had to give it back. No! Um, but I was <laughs> I was using it for the whole weekend. Um, and, I, and I was fortunate enough to meet Lucas up in central London. Um, and we sat down and he pulled a laptop out and put it on the table. And I thought, okay, when's he going to get the pine book out? And then he went, oh, I'm, here we go. Why haven't... I said, surely that can't be the pine book pro. This thing looked so good. I thought he'd pulled out a seven or 800 pound, I don't know, Mac or something. Cause it looked really, really good. So I thought, oh, okay, here we go. I picked it up. And it was sturdy and it was solid and it was well built. And I lifted the lid, lid up and there was a lot of 
of not friction, but there was a lot of tension yeah. on the lid. So I knew straight away that this was a quality product. And he went, oh, sorry about the lid. We've made some improvements to the hinges. And I thought, well, I wasn't going to complain about the <laughs> lid. So he, he went off to get some coffees and I sat down and powered it up and whoosh, within about 10, 12 seconds, it was ready to use. So I did some typing in a basic notepad and the keyboard felt light and, and good and wasn't spongy and didn't sag in the middle like some of the cheaper uh, uh, notebooks mm. that you can get do. Um, while he wasn't there as well, I did a test where I, I picked it up by the corner, expecting it to sort of droop slightly because they, you know, because of the, the way it's built, solid as a rock, stayed perfectly level. And I thought, yeah, he's still not looking. So <laughs> I picked it up off the desk by the hinge. The hinge didn't move. The angle at which the laptop was open did not move. And that was right. holding the whole laptop up by the hinge. So that was fantastic. Don't get me started about the trackpad. It's probably one of the single best trackpads I've used. Wow. On a low-end computer. That's awesome it, to hear. It felt smooth. It felt right. Double tap worked out of the box. It was great. So he then came back, and I had to then start using it properly and not trying to, <laughs> trying to mess about and break with it. So we had a fantastic discussion for about an hour, and then I had the pleasure of, uh, of bringing it home. And like you guys, one of the first things I wanted was, yeah, this thing's going to play 4K video. Yeah, whatever. So I got it in, powered it all up, connected it up to my 4K video, went to YouTube, picked a couple of 4K videos and went, play. Hmm, this is good. I'm going to get it. Right, okay, half screen, two, cough, two 4K videos, play. It's doing it. Right, I'm going to get you. Four YouTube screens, four 4K videos playing, not a stutter, not a hesitation, not a My tear. goodness. And all played brilliantly. Now, one of the things that Lucas had reminded me is because this was a prototype, he said, I'm sorry if it gets a bit hot. So I thought, well, let's just, just keep going. So I kept these videos playing on repeat for about an hour. Lifted the laptop up expecting to burn my hand from underneath. Yes, it was warm, but it wasn't what I would call hot. And yet they're going to make improvements before the main one comes out. So they're going to introduce some larger heat sinks that go down the edge of the, of, of the keyboard. So just to take it away from where the power supply yeah. sits. Everything I threw at this beast, it just worked. That attention to detail on a $199 laptop is it's, it's ridiculous. There was no yeah. way anybody would say that that cost $199. If you took it into a pub and just said to anybody, here you go, boy, how much? They'd all be talking $399, 450 500 pounds. It was that good. Um, Whereas compared to that one, people would look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's probably a couple of hundred quid. No, like that, that's the thing about this is that this is the original Pine Book, and I've had this for quite a while, and it's it's so useful and come in handy. It actually looks pretty decent. Like it looks good. And, it, yeah, you once you start using it, you can hold it, and you can see there's a little bit of a flex. Like you can mm -hmm. kind of see it. And this, was, and this is kind of interesting because – it is a plastic, uh, this is a plastic one. And the new one's going to be the complete, like a metal alloy, aluminum alloy or something. Yeah. And even though this one has issues, I think that this is a still a solid, really good laptop. You used it the whole time at the conference. Yeah, I used it at the mm -hmm. conference. I used it, I went on a couple trips this year and I, I took it with me every time. And it was the, the thing I went for every time because it has a good trackpad too, like even the original one does. And like overall, I think this is, a very good laptop and even if you don't count the fact that it's a uh, hundred dollars it's a good laptop and in mm -hmm. talking about that it's a hundred dollars it's ridiculous 
And yeah. like, there's, yeah. and I, I'm totally uh, can't wait for the new one. Yeah, and one of the other interesting things that happened was he gave me a couple of um, memory cards to put into the side to try um, other operating systems. Now, one of them was Chromium. Mm-hmm. So, gross. If you, yep. if, if, gross. if you want your kids to have an alternative to a Chromebook to take to school and use an operating system that they can they can use like everybody else is using, they use Chromium, and then when they get a bit uh, get a bit older. They just reflash it and put a version of Linux on there. And also, it could be a, 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 a like an alternative to a Chromebook that has the Chromium OS in, uh, like you said, on the SD card, and then take the SD card out, and you have a real, real actual Linux system. I like system. how you guys are thinking now. Yeah, and then is that way you can you can like the kid can tr- can play with the, the 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 Chromebook and take it to school and work it, but but all your stuff is still separate, and you can still have the benefit of having the Pinebook as well. So it's a double and it double use. A marketing price of one hundred ninety nine dollars, which I think that's what most Chromebooks are. Are they? Yeah, actually, oh, some better, are more expensive. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I love that idea actually because I know when my son gets a little older, the schools actually require them to get a Chromebook that is in the school list of of items. So now I cannot get a Chromebook. I can support a hardware company that actually mm-hmm. supports Linux. I could put yep. the SD card in with the Chromium. They can use it at school, and when he comes home, he could use an adult operating system. Exactly. Sounds good. Exactly. And a USB, USB type C port on there to power up your monitors. Um, and on when I think I'm pretty sure I don't I'll need to get you to check the double specs, but I'm pretty sure that that will also charge it once the proper Pinebook comes out. But on my model, it wasn't working because it was only a prototype. And to think the list of modifications that he gave me that are going to make this thing even better when it comes out, just it's going to be astounding. It's certainly on my list of I've got to get one. Yeah, Brilliant. like there's there's also they're going to have multiple different uh, keyboard layouts, not multiple, but there's only going to be two I know of, uh, but they're going to have different keyboard layouts so that when you uh, you can choose when you order to pick which layout you prefer. I think that's mm-hmm. not going to be on the first pre-order, though. I think that's on the like once the pre-orders are done, then you can choose. But I think the pre-orders is like, here's the first version of the of the Pinebook Pro. Uh, and yep. I and, and I looked at the difference between the two. It's like there's two keys that are different depending on which layout you want. So it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. But the super key is also going to be a little Pinebook logo. Yes, they're even, they're, that's one of the best things about the the uh, like they they're they're they're, they're not only they're making a good piece of hardware an existing one I have is a really good piece of hardware and I don't necessarily need the Pinebook Pro but because I have this one but you know reasons uh, but it also <laughs> is worth noting that they like as you said that they're they're, they're going so far as to carry out the polish to the point of even making the the key the the super key having a, a becoming like a logo key for pine. And that mm-hmm. is the attention to detail that is not only impressive, but kind of shocking for the price point that they're selling this at. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thing that I found interesting wasn't necessarily about the product itself, but the person I was talking to. Now it was obvious that Lucas knew what he was talking about and he was innovative and he had loads of fantastic ideas for the you know the additional pine book stuff that's going to come out and i said to him whoa you haven't even got this one out yet aren't you worried or are you going to make me worried that the pine book pro will come out and in six months later no 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 he said this is just let's try and future proof this what we want to do he said we've learned some mistakes that we made with the with the pine book we're not going to make those mistakes with the Pinebook Pro, and we are going to make sure that we've got a solid base, a solid distribution for this product before we even begin to think about 
the next model. So don't think you're going to buy this and a year later it's going to be out of date. They are really looking to establish a solid base with this one. Very nice. Okay, so onto a, a subject that seems to be making uh, a lot of noise around the internet at the moment, um, and that's a, a product from Fedora called Silverblue. Um, so there's a, a lot of buzz around Silverblue, which was formerly named the Atomic Workstation. Um, and every now and again, we get some emails and comments asking us to check out this product. Well, I've seen what it can do. I've seen a couple of videos I haven't got a clue how it does what it does. So, Michael, <laughs> dig me out of a hole here and take over this subject. Wait, why I did you know... assume it's Michael that has to? Yeah, Michael, can you tell us about this? <laughs> <laughs> so, the Silverblue is is an interesting distribution because it is basically like Fedora Workstation, but it also has the way it's structured is very different. So, I'm just going to, like, here's a quote from what their website says, and then I'll explain what they mean by it. Uh, they say Fedora Silverblue is an immutable desktop operating system. It aims to be extremely stable and reliable and also aims to be an excellent platform for developers and those using container-focused workflows. So there's a lot of buzzwords there. But uh, what it basically is saying is that they are using a, a, a very containerized, layered system of Fedora. So the majority of the system is not modified when you make changes to yourself. So if you install new applications or you install uh, even tools to do command line tools and stuff like that, they have different uh, subsets of how you install them to you know not change the actual underlying system. So the, the base system does not is not modified by, by your personal usage. It is, is a layered on top so that if something changes with the base system, the, everything that you change on top doesn't is not affected by what you've done, so what the system changes. So it's an interesting a aspect. So it's it's not necessarily like Puppy Linux, but in the way that it's layered, it's kind of similar. So it's really cool because of the idea that if you have a whole system upgrade, it, in some systems you're worried about, well, if I do this upgrade, it's going to crash it. You know, it might break something here or there. Well, the Silverblue is the because the base system is not modified by when you make changes you can very easily transition your your updates you know very quickly without having to worry about the stuff that you put on top modifying anything because it's not touching it mm -hmm. that's why they use flat packs they also have a package layering system and they use this thing called toolbox which is the same kind of thing as a package layering but it's more like containers for command line tools so the toolbox are for com or command line, flat packs are for GUI, and then the package layering system is for like extra features that are modifications to more. Well, yeah, toolbox things. can allow you to install different versions, just like you could in you know Red Hat and other things, yeah. different versions of OSs and things. But the way I, best way I've kind of been able to understand how it works is almost comparing it a little bit, although it's different to how OpenSUSE. Uh, ButterFS snapshots work. So every time you do an upgrade in OpenSUSE, every time you type in um, the zipper update, it, you basically, it takes a snapshot beforehand of everything. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you reboot, let's say when you did that new update, the new kernel comes out and it crashed stuff on your system. In your grub, you will have the option to go back because it keeps that snapshot of that prior version. In a similar way, with Fedora, although it's more containerized, you have your base OS, 
then when you do an upgrade, it will create basically another snapshot that you can then roll back to the prior one if there was an issue. Yes. Um, yes. So it works very similar in the grub way. Then your packages are separate. It uses RPM OS tree um, for its packages as well as flat packs. Yeah, the RPM OS tree is for the pa- the package layering system. Yeah, yeah and exactly. It, but they, they typically want you to use the toolbox or to use the flat pack because that's the more separation because the, the RPM OS tree are, is, is very good, uh, but it's more integrated into the system rather than the, the structure of how flat packs work because they're more separated. So they, they want you to use as much separation as possible so that way that the anytime you change something, there's no conflict sort of. And mm-hmm. you're, as you're saying, like the snapshot system is a very important piece. It also has a, like the snapshot is the is is updating for like the actual whole system when you do the upgrades. But there's also the atomic part of this. Like it used to be called the atomic workstation. Um, the reason why it was that is because the atomic approach is the transactional updates for basically everything. So when you update something. The transactional updates or atomic updates is that you are going to not only have snapshots, but it's only going to pull in the things that are different. So you don't actually have to install every single aspect that's changing. So you, if you upgrade your your system of Fedora Silverblue, you're not updating the entire system. You're updating only what is necessary, but at the same time, still have the ability to do rollbacks and everything. So, okay, so it is very it similar. Sounds like it could be a really good bulletproof system, but it also sounds quite complex. How is it for the general user? How easy will it be for them to install and manage? Well, I think it's going to eventually be eventually. brilliant. I, I, I love, first of all, the OpenSUSE ButterFS snapshot system, which is the closest thing, even though they're not exactly related at all, uh, I can relate it to because of the abilities for rollbacks has is just incredible. I can redo a system so quickly now, right? It's like a snap of the fingers, but it's still annoying. But in plus, sometimes you may have to reinstall packages and other things. But be, having that ButterFS rollback option that I've had to use, I think, twice now is just incredible. You just go into your Grub menu, reboot, choose the prior snapshot before you did the update, type in one command to make it permanent, and boom, you're back on. That's your new system. Like the update never happened. It's so amazing uh, to use in, in in production. And the ability to do that with Fedora now is so powerful. The only issues I could see, Zeb, in that people were complaining about was there were certain packages and things that you kind of have to go install. Like there is NVIDIA proprietary drivers there for you, but there's still problems. It mm. looks like with NVIDIA folks being able to get those to work properly mm. or certain sandbox functions, functionality for things like printer drivers and stuff like that that aren't necessarily available in flat packs and it's still kind of an experimental stage it's not it's not really experimental in the sense of beta but it is definitely in in like there's it's it's more of like an innovative section like as we talked about previously Mm -hmm. that fedora likes to innovate a lot of things and this is kind of what they're doing here so if you there's certain packages you're not gonna be able to have there's certain drivers that are not going to work um depending on what your hardware is and also you're not gonna be able to choose what de is if you if you like gnome then you're good to go but if you don't mm-hmm. that's really not an option but as far option. as usability zeb you install it and you wouldn't know you're in anything different oh yeah it look just like fedora 30 you would open mm-hmm. up gnome software center and then you would see initiating flat packs because they're not you're not going to have you're the other have anything else yeah 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 so Again, just for the for the noob side of me, is this something similar to Cube's OS that keeps everything containerized? No, yes. no, it's it's. I think it's. I I took well. It may not be related at all, Mike. We'll give you the technical de- 
uh, details similar. of why probably, but it reminded me very much of that concept. It's it's similar in the sense of the goal and the in the, the 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 structure of what they want to do. Like that's the like the end goal is to have containerized system. Uh, cubes is more of like everything's virtualized. It's not necessarily just containers. It's like uh, everything you right, do okay. is a virtual machine, and they have. Uh, but they also have different de- like different entire distros that you're running inside of cubes, and so you can have like a Debian cube, or you can have a Fedora cube all at the same time. And, but you could do that yeah. with the toolbox here potentially, which uses Podman, right? No, no, no. I'm mm-hmm. saying like you could actually have a whole. You could have Debian and Fedora at the same time. In different oh, I cubes. got you. Yeah. So yeah. like the cubes is very is very different, but they're also trying to do the same thing of having a more easily rolled and easily deployed system and he's like having rollbacks in case issues happen and and one of the things that it's it makes this an interesting uh, project is that silver blue has using this in, this immutable structure or this the the atomic structure allows them to have the base system to be per, almost permanent across all users in the sense that it's you know, it's still going to be updated and everything, but you're going to have, you know, rest assured that your whatever happens on your system is going to be similar to what someone else happens to their system. Uh, you know, other than the hardware support kind of thing. Uh, but if you have an update to the whole system, they don't have to test a thousand different configura- configurations to hope that to see if it works. They have the yep. using this structure allows them to be able to test in one go, and it applies to everywhere. So, like, there is a huge potential there too. So, it is. I think in the mm-hmm. future the silver blue has a lot of potential and and could be the point of like maybe someday replacing the regular fedora that's what they say in there that it may one day be that people are asking that question why not why not just make this a thing and that's fedora but they're still testing out a lot of this stuff and i see why people are so excited about it now i understand why i'm getting so many you know we're starting to get a lot Mm -hmm. of emails and comments have you tried silver blue have you tried silver blue because to me the idea of it in concept and what they're doing is very exciting i mm. think it is a very cool idea yeah but again bringing it back down to like the sort of like the beginner distro hopper level mm-hmm. how how much longer should people give it before they give it a try do you think six months three months there's no telling and it's not going to be at like for average users it's not ready yet so there's no i way would to suggest tell. trying it now for fun because it but i would not per, i would not put it on if you're a newer user Distro mm-hmm. Hopper is not super experienced. I would not put it on a production machine. Go play with it in the VM. Sure. It's, uh, it's things like that, and and it's not like it. a beta. It's it's yeah, it's it's got not. solid. It's got a solid development, and it's got solid releases, and it's it's and it works quite well. But it is limited in the sec in the fact that it's very innovative and very new. So it's not going to have absolutely everything that you possibly want. So it's not going to be to as in the sense of like what Ryan said is not it's not really production ready for the average user but it is you have a spare laptop you want to put it on definitely try it out yep so next in the show we're going to switch to some gaming and that is first up the Google Stadia has gross yes i agree gross completely the gross the grossel stadia has given us more information about what's coming in their service and if you haven't heard of it, the Google uh, Grossel Stadia is a gaming is a game streaming service from Grossel. It's getting closer and closer, and they're going to be doing a way for you to use your uh, laptop or whatever uh, Chrome gross uh, structure to uh, stream a game that's on their servers, allowing you to play with a device that might not be as powered as you know powerful enough to play the game. So in some ways, kind of interesting, and also gross, uh, but. The director of products for Google or Grossel uh, did an AMA on Google on Reddit, and uh, here are some highlights from the Q and A. So, 
there people were asking like they want a clarification about uh, you know whether or not this is like a Netflix for games and how are they how are they handling it and they say it's it's more like the Xbox Live or PSN Plus where you have you pay for a, a monthly fee and then you get like a, the pro plan and you get a free game per month because you're paying for that monthly fee, that monthly fee. Uh, so there are no games and no free games on the Stadia base plan, which is what we, we already knew about that part. But they're saying that, which is what people were worried about, they have confirmed that it is definitely gross. If you have a Stadia service and it is discontinued, you will not be able, you will be able to download the saves and metadata, but not the game. So you, no. So you pay you for own, the, You own nothing. You own nothing. Mm. So you pay the full price of that game, but you cannot play the game if the service is down or if they discontinue the entire service. So and going back to the previous point, that one that one free game per month, does that mean at the end of the year you've got 12 free games or that you've got one game to play for a month and hurry up because it's going to disappear at the end of the first month? No, you get to keep... Well, yeah. Based you on the PSN or, Plus, you keep it, but if it's, yeah, exactly. we don't know about what Google's plans are or Grossel's plans are. Yeah, so this is interesting. It The more that comes out about this, the more I feel like um, to at least my opinion is to avoid this product at all costs. Um, there's no free games on the Stadia base. The, the reality is you're not saving a ton of money on this um, by not having a console because some of the controllers themselves are 25% the cost of the console themselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and you're going to get, you're going to have issues with ISPs with throttling and their answer to that in the AMA was, Oh well, the ISPs will adapt. Yeah, they've been so great at adapting in the past to <laughs> well, uh, helping not, consumers out. Not only is that ridiculous, but also what they're saying is uh, they said it's going to adapt to like what they did for YouTube and stuff. So what makes me laugh about it is like not only are they saying this is a problem, they're admitting it's a problem. They're saying, well, you know, who cares about net neutrality? It doesn't matter. We'll just force them to get deal with having this kid's data cap and forcing you had to deal with maybe you might have to switch the the ISP you have, or maybe you have to do it on some mobiles uh, right. ISP or whatever. So, well, the like, ISPs will fix it by charging you a higher monthly rate by giving you more bandwidth. Yeah, it's, it's quite possible. Uh, there's uh, there's also but there's also arguments of like they'll uh, that they're uh, one of the things they could be meaning is that they they will adapt by you know having a partnership with Grossel and that they have this weird thing where they allow this certain part of, you know, just because if you use Stadia, you get this extra exception to your your package or something. So that, you know, you paying extra money to the Google uh, in order to get this stuff set up. And it's just like this weird, uh, yeah, I, I like the fact that Stadia is based on Debian and it's, ba- and it's powering by Vulkan. I like all that stuff. But, you know, gross. Yeah, here's the thing. I could have done this AMA for Google on their behalf and answered all these questions without having any insider information, just knowing how Google is. Like they asked, somebody asked, will there be social features like chat? Of course, how are they going to get all your metadata and link all your friends together so that they could sell them advertising? Of course, they're going to have social media uh, built into it. They um, talked about uh, one of the things here is, well, this was the most interesting thing to me. The number one of the number one questions was when we when we already talked about this, but what happens when you discontinue it or if you decide not to continue with Stadia? Think about that for a second. That one of the largest tech companies out there, that one of the questions that's most important, not to cynics like just us here, but the general public is what happens when you basically abandon another project like you always do? What do, do we get to keep our game? 
Like that is the question people want to know about this new technology that you've supposedly released and created and out there. That was one of the top questions people want to know. And that just shows you why I would never support this product. And mm. I, I, I have a PlayStation. I get the free game every month. It's a really cool perk to have out there um, for it. And I th- I'm way more excited this, on the gaming front to see what the new PlayStation or Xbox comes out with than I am to see anything that Google has to mm. offer here. With that said, there are some advantages for Linux because if you would download a Chrome browser on your Linux machine, any of these games that may not work in Linux today you could play through Stadia uh, at the cost of your privacy, which makes me wonder why are you in Linux in the first place. But, uh, you know, they did make a good point here that one of the cool features was the director who did the AMA said their favorite feature was being able to play the latest Assassin's Creed on his son's old and dirt cheap Chromebook. It is a cool idea. Mm-hmm. If you happen to live in an area where you have gigabyte internet yeah, and really solid internet. Yeah. Yeah. So what gets me though is you've got, where where did the marketing guys get this idea that gamers would pay this monthly subscription and be happy about never owning the game? It's just incredulous. I think yeah. they might be even talking about just like the casual user who's like plays the games on their phones or something. I don't know. But it it is weird that and it, and also a lot of people are not going to be aware that they're not going to own the games that they have purchased. Because there are like you get free you get this free plan that's you know whatever for you get that one or not free plan but you get the free game in the pro plan that you're paying for yeah and if you stop paying for that pro plan you don't have the game anymore you can't play the game anymore so you you, you don't it's not really free it's a temporary free vendor that's lock-in an interesting thing question because if you, you okay you've played this you've paid the pro plan for six months and then you opt out before you opt out can you download your data and your metadata? And your game saves? You can download or the game saves only, and the metadata for a game that you do that not have access to anymore. Even if they discontinue? I think it's supposed to be for in general. But it doesn't even matter. In my opinion, even if they do it for gen- in general, you still can only download the game saves and the metadata. You can't get the game. So you no. still have to go buy the game in order to use those, that saves and metadata. Hmm. And if, to make it even more gross, if you buy the game, like if you, if you actually buy a game because they're still selling games on Stadia, you still don't own that game. You pay 60 wow. bucks full price for a game that you do not own. And even if you cancel your pro plan and you pay and you or you, or you don't have that game anymore. The, the there is one like there is a some s- sort of benefit there. There's like a little bit of an asterisk. If you buy a game, you can still use the free plan to play it, but you definitely cannot download it and you do not own it. You wow. still are de- dealing with whether it's on Stadia or not. So, Michael, um, we were asked in patron chat, uh, Eric asked, how is this any different than Steam? If Steam goes away, you can't access those games. Well, I would say that the reason the difference is that the games that you're on Steam are downloaded to your computer and you can play them just in general. Exactly. So you have access to them. It, so it, if it Steam is, went away, which, by the way, they're not Google, they have actually a track record of existing and not killing every project that they start, um, so that that's one big difference there. Yeah. If you go back to the AMA, that was the number one question from the community, not tech people, the community in general. Um, mm-hmm. But Steam also does allow you to download locally, even when you're certain bands. There is one band that I think is their top band that won't allow you to even download games. But even when you're banned in for certain things in Steam, you can still download the games and play them locally that mm-hmm. you bought on Steam. So mm-hmm. yeah, that would so- be a 
But you still have to have the Steam client to play those games, or how would I fire up Rise of the Tomb Raider without going into Steam first? I mean, you still yeah, would need the Steam client, but the Steam client is also downloaded, so you don't ha- you don't have to be connected to the internet to use so certain it things. So it wouldn't connect you to the internet, and you would never get any more updates. But you could play the yes, content. The you games really that you have purchased, you would still have access to pay, play them. That's fine. Yeah, 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 that's cool. So it's I mean it's it's not the ideal option to be able to play it anytime you want, regardless of whatever. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you you're, you're not totally. The difference is that you're not totally without if you decide to stop using it. And at the same time, with Steam, you're not paying on a monthly basis anyway, so you just get the game and you just keep it. So Absolutely, yeah. So for Google Stadia, next. Yep, right, next. Our next article in here, which is Steam is celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. And how are they celebrating it? By giving you more awesome deals. Right. So if you're not broke from the Humble Bundle sales and the Steam <laughs> Summer sales, you're gonna be broke now i'm really broke after the Ryzen stuff and the steam <laughs> summer sales and all of this but i love space games me and michael did a awesome we got so much good feedback on this yep um we did a completely we just decided this one one uh one hour practically before we did it to do a star trek our favorite star trek episodes yeah. and discussion we were and actually like two video before we even talk about that part like we were so we were sitting there watching and it was like and star trek comes on and i was like oh yeah this is awesome i love this episode and he was like wait wait do you like how much do you like star trek i was like let me tell you and like no 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 <laughs> let's do a video instead <laughs> yeah it was yeah he started talking about it and i'm like shut up we're gonna go do a video on this so we <laughs> so did it before prompt- we get into that though you did get it wrong because it's Deep Space Nine. Oh, you're you're so wrong, Seth. But <laughs> Michael probably agrees with you. I put I put it. I, I it's at my t- my number yeah. two. Is Deep Space Nine is good. It's good. So, you should just watch that video. Go watch the video. I have it linked in the show notes. So we love space. We love the technology out there. And obviously, 50th anniversary of Apollo 11. Steam loves it as well. So they're going to give you a bunch of discounts on space related games out there. Space combat, space exploration. Um, and you can also check out the video that Michael and I did on Star Trek if you want to add in that as well. And that's free, so it won't even break your wallet there. But some of the games that are Linux-based that are up to some of the most of these are 30, 60, 75, most are 75% off and 180% off game here. I've played Faster Than Light, so I can speak to that one being an amazing game. Sid Meier's Civilization, if you are somebody who really wants to spend some time thinking and strategizing in a game, that's amazing. Kerbal Space Program continues to astound me what yeah. people create and build with. I don't know if they still consider it real close to real physics in Kerbal Space Program, but apparently it's used in some capacity in yeah. it's, actual schools and colleges and things. Part of Kerbal Space Program Kerbal Space Program has like like if you get the add-ons, it starts changing the physics and stuff, but like the base level game is I wouldn't say it's like 100% accurate of physics, but it, they, they put a lot of effort into making sure that it, based on what you build, whether it'll work or not. So like there is a lot of interesting you know, aspects to it. And I think that Crippled Face Space Program is probably one of the most fun, ridiculous games that actually still has a thing to kind of teach you like physics and stuff. So, you know. Yeah, and then there's there's a couple of games in here I haven't played, but I know are popular, like Planetary Annihilation. I've not played that one yet, but it's available for Linux. Uh, there's uh, Halk Halkion Six Starbase Commander. I'm probably butchering that to death. Um, sur- surviving sure. Mars and lovers in dangerous space time. So get your romance on in space. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Um, why not? So those are the Linux uh, ones that are out there. But if the sale's still going on by the time you hear this, go check 
that out. Um, and uh, thanks to Gaming on Linux for listing out the Linux versions of the games that are on sale during the Apollo 11 celebration yeah. there. And uh, just another cool thing from Steam that they're doing. Yep, we'll have a link to the show and the show notes to the direct link to the filter search of like the games that are Linux based and you know based on this sale. And also, uh, I just want to give another thing about the just a just a brief moment to say how awesome it is that we you know 50 years and it's the Apollo 11 space station and everybody's still so pumped about it or the, yeah. you know, the space station but that's this the moon landing and it's it's so awesome that that you know steam and all these different things are doing like specials to celebrate it because you know it it definitely deserves it absolutely so on to the software spotlight and uh this week we've got a double entry for you we have software spotlights for screen recording peak and simple screen recorder now what was interesting is i'd never heard of peak before uh, and when i looked at it i thought wow this is really really good mm -hmm. so peak makes it easy to create short screencasts of a screen area it was built for the specific use case of recording screen areas as an example showing ui features of your own apps or for showing a bug in bug reports and and that side of it i think is fantastic because a picture paints a thousand words and you might not be able to describe correctly to a developer what's going on grab peak grab a screenshot and a, a little animated gif of what's happening file that through and they'll probably be able to work it out so what can peak do it can select a screen region to record it can save the recorded video as an optimized animated gif it can record directly to webm or mp4 format it has a simple user interface optimized for the task it will automatically downscale recorded videos support for hidpi screens and it works inside a gnome shell wayland session using using x wayland so yeah. have any of you guys specifically used peak i use peak a lot just specifically to create the animated gifs out there if i want to create one because it's so easy to use but um it has a ton of features in there and we talked about obs not working correctly in wayland before as a screen recording option peak is one of the few tools out there that do work in wayland so the codes out there for the obs team if they want to figure out how it works um, mm -hmm. I, I did try because one of the things, and we're, we're going to get in a simple screen recorder here in a second. One of the things that when I'm doing benchmark tests and specifically for frames per second, because everybody wants to see the exciting, what was it, 340 frames per second in Batman Arkham or whatever. They want to see the max FPS that I can get out of the new equipment. Well, when you're recording the screen at the same time, you lose 15 to up to 30 frames per second when you're mm -hmm. doing that screen. So when people want to see that absolute max, um, I have a hard time being able to capture that because OBS is a heavy screen recorder and it generally will, I'll lose lots of FPS. So sometimes I'll just take pictures of it or try to record on my phone and that type of stuff. But yep. simple screen recorder um, allows you to be able to record your screen. You still lose some frames, I would say like maybe five to 10, but not as much as you do with OBS. And Peak is kind of a little bit above simple screen recorder. It requires more 
power than simple screen recorder, but not as much as OBS. So those are some reasons, at least, that I switch between the different tools there for screen recording. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. uh, Peak is a good option, especially for people who use Waylon, because Green Recorder is good. But every time I've talked to anybody who has seen Peak, they would always say like they use Green Recorder and then they switch to Peak. Uh, mm-hmm. because it, it has so much more features and it is a little bit more heavy because of the animated gif stuff because in order to do that you have to do a lot of processing and uh, animated gifs are great because they're supported basically everywhere uh, but they're gigantic file sizes so it is really cool that they have the mp4 and webm options so if you want to do yeah. it you don't have to use the, the gif option but i've had i've seen a lot of people re- request being able to easily make a gif uh, but you know this day and age i think video is you know ubiquitous enough that you don't have to worry about gifts anymore so just saying maybe use the other stuff anyway um but uh like so you mentioned simple screen recorder that's our other pick and simple screen recorder is probably my favorite quick access screen recorder uh, yeah. i think peak is great but the amount of stuff that you can and it has a lot of great features but i think simple screen recorder has a little bit more features that are like very powerful but at the same time laid out in a very simple way uh, and the sense of like simple screen recorder is not necessarily like just a basic recorder. It does have a ton of features. You can control like the audio that it records. It can, you can control the region it's, it's a, a position at. And one of the things that I like the most about most, most screen capture stuff have a thing where you can select the region. But once you select that region, you can't really move the selection easily. Whereas simple screen recorder has an option where you can just like enter the pixels that you want it to be based on like the top left corner of your screen. So you can move it very, very fine, specific, exactly to where you want it. And that is a really cool feature that I like about it. And it's, and it's definitely just a simple thing that it, you, a lot of things you don't even think about having it, but just having the ability to just move it exactly but where you want. But this doesn't work in Wayland yet, right? Is that still right. the case? Right. I'm pretty sure that uh, simple screen recorder does not work in Wayland. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting because this whole OBS thing, they're, they're, at least for me, the, you know, the OBS would be a big issue for moving to Wayland like we talked about before. But Simple Screen Recorder, they even have the experimental uh, streaming options now, yeah. which is exciting. So it's experimental. They're still working on it. But the idea that I could stream to Twitch or YouTube because me and Michael and Zeb will sometimes do gaming live and things to be able to do that in there is awesome. The only thing they would really be missing that OBS has at that point that they don't would be... Uh, the ability to do kind of studio mode transition, yeah, scene management and stuff. Scene management stuff. If they could add that in, because there may be a case where OBS is like, no, we're not updating to Wayland, you know, for a long time, and we may not have options because a lot of distros are switching to Wayland by default to do screen recording. So I'm kind of hoping simple screen recorder or peak or somebody gets in there and starts pumping in these features. We have other options to use if that's the case, because I hate that we're dependent on we have a single point of failure here in the screen recording realm when it comes to That's true. this. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that they have the live streaming stuff. That's really cool. I haven't tried it myself, but it, it does seem like it has a lot of potential. And I do, I do agree completely. Like there are times where I've tried to record a gameplay that I was trying, that I did, or like a couple times I'd have weird bugs in a game that are just funny. And I wanted to make a video of them. And the OBS is just kind of too heavy for that on my computer. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, Simple screen recorder just did it perfectly, no problem. Just you know, good to go. Yeah, but but please check out the link in the in the notes about the features of screen simple screen recorder because there are literally um, dozens of options that Ryan's put into the document here, 
of what it does. So Simple Screen Recorder by name, very, very accomplished program for, for doing your screen recording. Yeah. The simple was you know, he, he created the name base before he decided to add all these different features. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, so now it's simple in the sense that it's a simple path of you do this part, then you do this part, then you do this part. Now you're ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Up next in the show is our tips and tricks of the week. And that is FFmpeg. More specifically, we're going to do a specific uh, tip about FFmpeg because if you haven't heard, if you haven't seen it, FFmpeg is one of the most important pieces of software on the Linux platform because it is what powers all the video editors. It powers all the compression tools, all the like. Basically, if you manipulate video in any kind whatsoever, you're using FFmpeg to do it. And uh, one of the things about FFmpeg is, well, it's ridiculously complicated, and having different like this is gonna be like a, a, I mean, maybe we can do do a series of tips for FFmpeg because there's so much of it um <laughs> but so first of all uh we're going to talk about converting different media types of audio and video so for example this is actually pretty simple to do and it is like you just type in the FFmpeg and you do tac i and then input file name dot whatever the file it is then you put space output file name dot whatever video you convert format you want to convert to and that's it so it's a really easy way to uh, actually even efficiently convert a video from one format to the other. Uh, but, you know, FFmpeg can go a ridiculously far. You know, you can do so much with it. Yeah, so I had to – right, this was part of the problem I talked about earlier in recording the video on AMD that I had is Lightworks prefers everything to be in MP4. It does not like FLV files. And so I installed this new Pop! OS and forgot to go into settings in OBS and change it to record in MP4, and it recorded in FLV. Normally, it's not a big deal, but the, the recording I had for the installation was massive hours of footage here that needed to be converted. So I was like, oh, I'll go to Handbrake, which uses FFmpeg in the background, as I understand it. But I'll go to Handbrake, which I always do, which is a GUI tool to convert the file format, no big deal, except I guess the file was too big and Handbrake basically would, it would just hang. It would never move past hanging. So I started looking for options to do this through the terminal because I thought, well, maybe if I take out the GUI portion of this and do it manually, and I found this FFmpeg-I, you put in the input file name that you want to convert and then the output file name, you can make it whatever you want and the new format you want, .mp4, hit enter, Boom, it just goes and does it. It does it super fast and my file was converted, worked perfectly. So this is, a, I'm going to use this all the time mm -hmm. now uh, going forward because it's just so powerful and so fast to do it through the terminal as most things are, are faster through the terminal than a GUI. Yeah, and actually um, the FFmpeg is super useful in so many different ways. Like you can do all kinds of stuff with it. And I have used, I've done video editing for a very long time and I've also done even weird decisions of editing through the command line through FFmpeg because it can do a ton of stuff. And what's really good about FFmpeg is that it has this ability to automatically detect the source data of the existing file. So it, it keeps the same uh, proportions of the video. It keeps the same quality as much as close as possible, the same mm -hmm. bit rate and all that stuff. So all you have to do is put in the tack I and the file name stuff, like Ryan said, and then it just figures out the rest by itself. So yeah. that's yeah. one of the things that makes FFmpeg super powerful. But you can go ridiculously far, and you can control every aspect of each metadata and change whatever you want. It's the arch of video editors. 
Mm-hmm. It's the or LFS video, of video, video editing. <laughs> the KDE the, of uh, video editing. It's more yeah. like the Linux from scratch <laughs> because it, it it can go. It it has superpowers, but mm-hmm. it also has a weird has some weird quirks. So, for so example, if you don't have the you. wrong order of certain parameters, it won't work. So, yeah. you got to so learn. A question that stuff. for you: As we know, different versions of Linux will have different versions of FFmpeg. Mm-hmm. Is this a universal? feature so whether yep. you've got a, the, the the version that's in ubuntu which might be a couple of versions right. out or you've got the latest in arch that simple instruction will work yeah right for the converting for the files in ffmpeg that basic will work in pretty much the every ffmpeg for the past 10 15 years or so cool like, no problem uh, there, there are a lot of different features that are putting into ffmpeg every single time they make a new release that are not always available in every distro, but something mm-hmm. like that is definitely in there. Uh, what actually is kind of funny because you know last uh, you know previous episode we had uh, Noah doing a remote thing, and then we didn't have a video for Noah, so uh, I didn't think about you know promoting it in the beginning of the episode that we that Noah wasn't there, and I didn't uh, think about you know putting it in the video that Noah wasn't there. So there's a couple comments that were hilarious about people saying. I was having a staring contest with Noah, and Noah was very good. <laughs> still. Yeah, because I had a, I did a still image of it, and uh, I used FFmpeg to make that still image. Because yes, I could do it in Caden Life, and I I tested to see how well it would work in Caden Life to do that, uh, and it worked fine. But the rendering was going to take a very long time. It was going to take up to four or five hours to render just a still image across the entire thing. And now, granted, it's an two-hour show sometimes so it does take a long time to render but if you did when i did it in ffmpeg which to be fair this is one of those really complicated ridiculous commands to make this work but i could do a still image overlay and uh, specifically put it where i want it to be and have the right proportions where i want it and all that stuff and just let it go automatically and once i set that up it took maybe 30 minutes to 20, 30 minutes to 45 minutes or so to render out the same thing that would have been done in like four or five hours in, in Kaden Live. So FFmpeg is super powerful, but it does require you to learn, you know, certain kind of esoteric, obscure structures because it is very custom to its own thing. Uh, but it is so powerful. I actually made a... Learn the voodoo and be powerful. There you rest, go. Basically. TLDR. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it, we love our patrons. And since Noah isn't here, our Kofi supporters as well. I just want to give a special shout out to all of you for your tremendous, incredible support that you give us each and every month. Uh, We do a live show for our patrons. So come join us if you want to be a part of the show. Watch us live. Watch us make our mistakes. Uh, watch, get additional content that you're not going to hear in the edited show at all. And you can do this for just one single dollar. You could find that in your couch cushion right now if you tried. That's darn near free. Right. Absolutely. And because Noah's not here this week, I need to step in for him. And that's right, because we are now on Ko-Fi as a way you can support the show. Ko-Fi offers a nice monthly option that will allow you the same perks as a patron. There will be a link in the show notes and on our website to join Ko-Fi. The perks including things like access to live shows and edited versions of the show, as well as our sincere gratitude. So as Ryan said, you can join for very, very little amount and become that special Ko-Fi patron. (laughs) I love it. It's what you get, Noah, for not showing up. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, back to me again. We need you to send us 
those emails. We love getting those emails. And yeah. it's always a bit of a challenge to decide which email to pick. But as you saw this week, we had a very simplistic one. And it's because of that simplicity, that it led to quite a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. So let us know what you think. Do you have any burning questions? You can email us at comments at destinationlinux.org or you can drop a comment on our Telegram group, our Discord group, our Twitter group, our Mastodon group, and probably about 30 other things that Michael has concocted for us on destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. Can we take a minute on the Telegram group here? Because our Telegram group is exploding, mm -hmm. and we, we are one of the biggest, I think, Telegram groups yeah. out right now. It's Close to, if not the biggest one. And so it's worth joining. There is so many awesome people and developers and you'll you'll make you'll see people make comments about a random software piece and then the next one is the person who actually developed the software sitting there like yeah. that's, that's happened multiple times uh, there's like 750 people in the group so you yeah. definitely there's there's a lot of conversation and it's always super interesting so you know it, it's a good point i mean i like that like we have a lot of uh, great conversations in the telegram group so if you if you use telegram and you like the show definitely come join us and, and, and one of the Telegram folks who joined said that I guess there's a lot of groups out there where people start a group, but the people who started it don't actually show up in the group. And yeah. they were impressed because they said within the first three seconds, I talked to Michael Zeb and Ryan and all the, the hosts. So, yeah, we're there. We're actually actively a part of it. So go check out our Telegram group. It's worth it. And what's also fantastic as well is it's, 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 it's multinational. Whether you turn up at two o'clock in the morning your time or 12 midday or 6 p.m. at night. There will be a group of people from your area of the world to sit and have a discussion with. And then when you can wake up the next morning, you look at it again. Hmm, I've got 750 messages to troll through and find out what's been going on. So it really <laughs> is busy and there's always something going on in your specific time time zone. Yeah. There's a lot, lots of conversations, uh, but also the the content doesn't stop here. So we have all a lot more fun that you can find on our own channels, where you can check out content for Ryan at YouTube.com/dosgeek, where he fills your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. And you can yeah. you can check out Zeb at YouTube.com/zebdyboss, where you can you can find uh, Zeb driving around at crazy speeds, moving aside caravans that get in his way on his live streams. You can <laughs> check out my content. Uh, at tuxdigital.com where you go you can see an in-depth weekly Linux GNU's podcast called This Week in Linux and other Linux related content and you can check out Noah's content at the AskNoahShow.com or AskNoahShow.com where he hosts a weekly talk radio show at 6pm Central on Tuesdays where you can call in and ask him all kinds of different questions about uh, tech, Linux, business and also what the his favorite type of koofy is and, uh, <laughs> and, and also be sure to like that smash button and share the show, the show on social media so everybody have a great week, and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Did Zeb delete the bottom part out? Is that what happened? I think he did. No, I was just looking Zeb at that thinking, control. who's got rid of that? Maybe someone's got to remember now what's going on. That, I, th I don't know whether it got lost in Michael's cut and pasting earlier, but I certainly it didn't was delete there. it. I don't know. I don't know why it wasn't I, there. I have I no idea. Someone, I thought, Zeb, you were trolling him and you took it out and I wasn't going to say anything. I was like, that is hilarious. He's going to have to remember it off the cuff. You didn't miss a beat, Michael. Nope. It was Because there was four people online. There was <laughs> four people online. It, I bet Noah was on his phone and got his own back because I was calling it Ko-Fi. That son of a gun. <laughs>